Okay, we'd like to invite everyone left here to turn to the Song of Solomon. We have a title. Yes, so just run that title while we're reading. And then we'll run the other portion. That's a loop. To loop. You got the instruction, right? Good. Okay. What we have before us is the readings. If you can see them, we'll have several readers come up here to read. But I'd just like to make a few introductory comments. I'm not sure the degree of familiarity with this book. In my short Christian experience, I don't think that I've ever heard or concentrated on ministry from the Song of Solomon. We've heard it referred to many times because there are lovely verses. Now, it's one of the poetic books of the Bible, so we're going to read a lot of poetic terms that may not in our culture, society, make much sense. In fact, seem to be a bit strange. But what we have in the Song of Solomon, we're going to look at it in a historical and literal sense. It is a love story. And some of us that may not be familiar with the Bible will marvel that such a book like this is in the Word of God. But it is a love story between a man and a woman. And the Song of Solomon will uh, lift up or extol the marriage relationship. Now, many parts of the Song of Solomon, we're not going to read all of the eight chapters. We're going to read selected portions. But many parts of the Song of Solomon are rather intimate and perhaps are best read in privacy. It is said, and I believe it so, that many Christian believing couples will read this or use this on honeymoon night because that is the time for such intimacy to occur. Now, we're going to see as we go through this book the loyalty and the love that is displayed between a couple. We'll make a lot more comments, but, but let's just concentrate now on the readings and then we're going to take a trip through the Song of Solomon. So I'm not sure who all the readers are, but I know they'll come up and let's just follow along. All right, we're going to be uh, reading from verse 1 down to uh, verse 4. Here we go. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Chapter 2, verse 1. I am the spring crocus blooming of the Sharon plain, the lily of the valley. Like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delight, shade, delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Promise me, O woman of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. 
chapter 3, verse 1. On the bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him, and I would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases Chapter 5, verse 9. Why is your love better than all others, O woman of rare beauty? What makes your lover so special that we must promise this? My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is fine as gold, his wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are, the, are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. His arms are like rounded bars of gold set with beryl. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of fine gold. His posture is stately like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He he is desirable in every way. Such, O women of Jerusalem, is my lover, my friend. Uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 5. Who is, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I w- awake you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she, wo- who, uh, there she who bore you brought you forth. Send me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal up, up, upon your arm, for love is, is as strong as death. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. If flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drop it. If a man will give for love, all the world of his house, it will be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. Uh, what, she, what shall we do for our sister in the day when she spoke, spoke, spoke for? Thank you. Readers. Well, again, the Song of Solomon, I think we can readily see, and I would encourage all of us to read it because it's in the Bible. God, the great lover of mankind, has recorded it for us in the Word of God, but it's not the norm. You don't see terms like grace and mercy and 
the law and things like that. Uh, uh, in fact, you don't even see the name of God in the word uh, in the this small section or book of, of, of the Bible. Um, but what we have before us is uh, might be termed an oriental love poem. There's very, very explicit language describing the purity and the delight of a man and his wife with each other's bodies. It's very, very. We don't want to say this as a, the, to make us blush, but that's exactly what takes place in this little book of eight chapters. You know, uh, you, we find in there the sensual pleasure of lovemaking in the scriptures, in the scriptures. We get the sensation in the world in which we live that that's a kind of a dirty thing because the world, this, the wicked world in which we live, just uh, broadcasts it as if I'm here, I, I can please myself. If it feels good, do it. I want to do what I want to do to make myself happy. But God has readily set in his word boundaries for this sensual pleasure. Listen to what the scripture says. Marriage is to be held in honor by all, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all, but, and the bed, the marriage bed, undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. We can't get any clearer than that. Marriage is to be held in honor by all. And the marriage bed undefiled, Hebrews 13, 4. But those that are sexually immoral, God will judge. You know as well as I that that doesn't make sense in our society. Young ladies as, as, as early as middle school are introduced to the boys in their classroom and enter into illicit relationships. And all of a sudden we have, at least in this county that I work in, in Dade, I'm sure it's up here in Broward, we have schools popping up for the young unwed mothers to care for their children as if it's the norm. But that is not the norm. God has set bounds and he reveals it right in this book. Now, I'd like to point out as well that the purpose of this book, it seems, as we read through the eight chapters, is not merely to extol human love and marriage. Surely it endorses the beauty and the purity to be found in marital love. God is the one that introduced and sanctioned marriage, Genesis 2.24. He brought the first Woman to the first man. And they were joined, they two shall be one flesh. The Bible says they shall cleave to one another. But is that the only purpose? I think underlying we can understand that God is love. Remember, God is love. That's what the scripture says, First John 4. God is love. And God has put within this little book of eight chapters a, uh, a, a, uh, uh, 
uh, words to extol or to lift up and honor the marriage relationship. However, we can see beyond this because God himself uses terminology throughout the scriptures. We won't look at all of the scriptures. Our time is almost gone already. But, but God uses scripture himself toward his people, the nation of Israel. As I passed by you, he could say of Israel, Ezekiel chapter 16, your time was a time of love. And he speaks to the nation of Israel and he, they enter into, as it were, a husband-wife relationship. And he uses very explicit terminology, much like we, we read here in the Song of Solomon. And if we were to search in other places, we would see it so that God brings into himself these terms that are used for the marriage relationship. So, having said that, there is much a, lot, a larger purpose than just the exaltation or the extolling or the honoring of the marriage relationship because Paul could say uh, in the New Testament to the church at Corinth, he could say, I have espoused you as a, as a pure virgin that I may present you to the heavenly bridegroom Christ. So we see that there is, a, there is a, uh, uh, an overarching, if you will, purpose for this book, not merely to uh, honor the marriage relationship, but to see God. You can see how he himself speaks. When it, 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 in, in the last book of the Bible, the, the vision that John had, he could see, I saw the new Jerusalem descending as a bride adorned for her husband. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When Paul is writing about the husband and wife relationship, he says, I, this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ. And the church. So as we look through the Song of Solomon and see sometimes these terms that will make us blush because that's what happens between a, 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 the beautiful relationship, the sensual, love-making relationship that takes place between a husband and a wife, you can see that God treats his body, the, the Lord Jesus treats his body, the church, in the same way. We can give a number of scriptures that prove this, that there's the bride and the bridegroom in joyful communion. And I just want to add this. Yes, there is a beautiful relationship between bride and bridegroom, between man and wife. But there is, I want to say this, and the scripture will bear this out, a far higher intimacy. They too shall be one flesh. Lovely, beautiful relationship that God has established. But there's a higher intimacy to be found in the church with their Savior and in the individual believer with the heavenly lover, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this book, we're going to look at it in a kind of a, a, a literal and a historical sense, but it uh, must be understood in the right context that it's written, like we said, but it also should be understood with the right frame of mind because it, there is a sensual context. We can't get around it. There is a sensual context. When you get into some of these descriptive terms, if we were to take time to read it, it's very, very beautiful. But it, it's a sensual context, but with a spiritual mind. Because if this book, somebody has rightly pointed out, if this book were to be found outside of the Bible, just laying by itself, why, who knows where people could go? The carnal mind, they could just take it and run with it in an illicit kind of way and turn from the God that created this beautiful relationship of marriage. You and I know that the society in which we live flies in the face of God who created marriage. And they say, as it were, they shake their fist at God. I'm going to have fun if it kills me. 
and they go out. And if it feels good, do it. And they practice and do what they please. I can live with anybody I want. Don't put me under the authority of marriage. I don't need that because God said it. I just want to do what I want to do. That's the society. And, of course, now we not only have men and women, young boys, young girls, but we have boys with boys, girls with girls. What a wicked, depraved society we live in. But this book, let's contrast it. This book points out the beauty, the marvel of the love relationship between a man and a woman in the marriage, within the confines of the marriage relationship. So let's look at it. Now it opens up. We're just going to breeze through this book. I want to say at the outset that it's not the easiest book in the world to follow. It is not. Now, what has helped me in my study and prep for this is the Song of Solomon does not appear to be a consecutive story going from one uh, part of a story to another. But it seems to be a collection of poetic pictures about a lovely story. So if we were to divide it up, we'd have seven little pictures where there's there's a royal wedding that's lived over again. Uh, There's a recollection of uh, the bride's courtship. There's a recalling of the the occasion of the engagement. There's a relation uh, about the bride's troubled dream. We read about that chapter five. There's a uh, uh, the royal bridegroom's meditation on his bride. We're going to touch on that. Then there's a reminiscing and longing of the bride to see her um, her old home. And then lastly, in the last chapter, there's a renewing of love of the happy couple. So let's go through it. We're going to breeze through it. Chapter one through chapter eight and see what uh, this book has for us. In the very first verse, we read the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Now, in first Kings, chapter four, which we're studying, chapter four, verse 23, we read that Solomon, the author of this book, wrote one thousand and five songs, one thousand and five songs. But this one note is referred to as the song of songs. It tops the charts. It's the number one song. It's a superlative uh, song that focuses on the uh, marriage the romance and the marriage love that takes place between a man and a woman. And it shows us what high regard God has for the marriage relationship. It's the superlative song of love. You know, if you search the, the um, every time you go into Publix and, and other places that sell books, you know, that's a, one of the, the, the highest selling genres of, of novels, right, is love stories. You know, you see all these kind of things that go on in pictures and, 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 and they capture the hearts of people. Why? Because God has placed in us that value. But it's to be used within the context that he provides. So there's a superlative song of love that, uh, that, that is mentioned here. The song of songs. What we're going to read about in the song of Solomon is a life of love. We're going to read about the language of love, how to speak to your spouse, the language of love. We're going to read about the lapse of love. We're going to read about purity and pleasure. We're going to read about fragrance and feelings. We're going to read about union and communion. We're going to read about love and loyalty. So here's the song of songs, which is Solomon's. And you can see from the very first that what we probably is a good thing to do, and maybe you have it in your Bibles, is to establish who is speaking. For instance, in chapter one and and following, you have the fairest among women, She's called my love. She's called the bride. She's called the Shulamite. That's the bride speaking. And that seems to be she's speaking 
in, in verse 2 through 7. And then also you have the king or the beloved. As, uh, Caleb read for us the lover, uh, the one whom my soul loves. King Solomon, he's called, he's called my friend. So it's a good thing because it's hard as you're reading through this portion, if you don't have it marked, who's speaking and when are they speaking? But again, a very beautiful, beautiful love poem that God has included in his word. Now watch this in verse number two. We're just going to make a few comments from each chapter to see if we can get the drift of this book. And so here's the bride. The first thing she says is, let him, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Right? What does she say? For your love is better than wine. What she has found is there's something better. There is something better. She's wine in the Bible speaks of earthly joy or pleasure. But she's found the love of her lover that some, that, that far exceeds that. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. There is something better. Even within a marriage relationship. We recognize the love that husband has for wife, the wife has for husband, but there's something better. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a wonderful and a beautiful thing, and this book extols it. But there's a higher intimacy to be found. Kissing, you know, that's, that's intimacy. We read about it this morning, right, when we were when the Lord Jesus saw this woman come in and, and he could, you know, this dirty woman that was ended up forgiving her sins. But you gave me no kiss. You gave me no affection. We find as the children of God, there's a higher affection that we have with Jesus Christ, our Lord. But here she found that there's something better than earthly love. Pleasure. Chapter number two, she's brought in, in verse number uh, 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 four. She's brought into the banqueting house or the margin of your Bible or maybe your translation read, reads a house of wine, a house of pleasure, a house of joy. And she finds love waved over her head as a protecting and a comforting banner. What an overwhelming experience she had. She said, sustain me. She was, she was lovesick. She brought in, brought into this relationship and she was lovesick. She was overcome with love for her lover and she could hardly stand it. And I want to suggest to you that that does take place. It does take place. The purity of love one for the other within the marriage relationship. She had to be sustained. Sustain me with flagons. Comfort me with apples. I'm lovesick. But I'm going to tell you again that there's a higher intimacy and a higher love when we get into the scriptures and sit at the feet of the greatest lover, the heavenly bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, we find an overwhelming experience that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's the heavenly lover. That's the beloved that lives in heaven. Okay, so she, but notice in verse 14, he desires communion. Oh, my dove, he says. Thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice. I want to tell you up front. In marriage, there's not only union, but there's communion. There should be. And I'm going to tell you, and you know it. Many marriages have union, but no communion. Living separate lives. They're in the same house. Have nothing to do with each other. No interaction, no fellowship, no communion, no relation heart to heart. It's absent. Might as well not be married. 
Now, what does that tell us about the Christian relationship? Oh, I belong to Jesus. Oh, you do? Is there any communication? Is there any interaction? Is there a reading of the scriptures? Is there a praying? Is there a communion, a personal communion? The Lord Jesus, we read, he rose a great while before day and he went out and there prayed. You see, there was communication with his father. And so in the, in the marriage relationship, oftentimes that's the beginning of the breakdown. We live a separate life. The man goes off to his job in the office and he has all the surrounding attaboys. Ha ha ha. Good boy. Get the report out. Go for it. And all the ladies in the office, <laughs> and the lady, she goes off to her job. They live separate lives. They have separate companies. They're appreciated, but there's no appreciation between each other. It's absent. Is that normal? Not according to God's word, it's not. We call them workaholics. Husbands can go off and they're in love with their job. Hi, Java. There's, there's all this intimacy with their job. <laughs> but you know, the marriage is falling apart. Union and communion. Is there communion? There should be. And again, if we call ourselves a Christian, is there that intimate communion? You know, as we go forth in our daily round of life, David could say, the King David could say that God desires truth in the innermost being. I go about my business, but my interests really don't lie in my wife and my family. They realize they, they're, they're somewhere else. We found something else, someone else that gives me attention and gives me what I, what I think I need. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Chapter number three, the daughters of Jerusalem speak. Attention is drawn in verse number six to a bridal car. Some of you would have a litter, a palanquin. This is, the, you know, it's the wheelless uh, vehicle, human powered. Who are they carrying? They're carrying the bridegroom on his way to a wedding. And what, what do we read about that car? That it's, it's lovingly fitted. It's paved with love. By the daughters of Jerusalem. And we thank our God that he has provided in his love. We could see we, we love to trace his way as he came down. What a wonderful thing to see the son of God coming down where we were. Well, talk about something that's paved with love. Why should he love me? I never can tell. Why should he suffer and save me from hell? Nothing but infinite grace from above could have conceived such a story of love. But I see the heavenly lover coming down to save me, to save me. Chapter number four. Oh, listen to this. This is lovely. We're just going to go a few minutes beyond. Chapter number four. Listen to what the the in verse number 12. Listen to what the bridegroom says. He calls his beloved, his lover. A garden, a garden, verse 12, verse 15, a garden, a garden. What kind of garden? It's enclosed. <laughs> this is where the scriptures keep it. Virginity, pure virgin, a garden enclosed, separated to him. None had entered previously. None have ever tasted of this spring. She was sealed for the proper owner.
guarded from intrusion, reserved for him. But notice what she can say. Verse 16. Blow upon my garden, let my beloved, let my lover come into his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. What a beautiful picture it is of the intimacy, the physical pleasure, the fragrance to be found in, in, in a married relationship. Sealed for him and none other, and then let, let him come to me. That is beautiful, isn't it? And then he singles her out. Excuse me, going on to chapter 4. She is so enthralled with him. I wish I could go on to this in chapter 5, verse 10. But she describes him through the rest of the chapter 5, 10 through 16. My beloved is. He's this. His eyes, his cheeks, his hands. From the head to the foot, he's solid gold. There's no deterioration in him. She is taken up with him. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. It doesn't take much of an imagination to see this pure virgin that was enthralled with her lover. And she says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. What a lovely relationship. But we can go beyond that because that very same phrase is used by God as he looked down. This is my beloved son. And if you know the Savior, you've been called into the kingdom of his dear son, of his, the son of his love. And we have a heavenly lover that we can describe here. If we had time, we'd look at the terms that are beautiful to apply to the Lord Jesus. Chapter six, he singles her out. Chapter six, verse eight and nine. Uh, among all the other women, he could say. My beloved, my doll is undefiled, but one, she is, she is the only one of her mother. She is the choice, and so on. Unique, above others, my perfect one, the only one. He singles her out amongst all. And it's a beautiful thing to know, if you know the Savior this morning, that the Son of God singled me out. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Ever think about that woman we read about this morning? How could she ever? She was a, she was a sinner. The, 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 the inference is she was an unchaste sinner. She gave herself to any man that came around. But then she found herself in the presence of the Son of God as he walked on earth. How did she ever get in there? Well, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus says, her sins are many. But she loved me and she's showing it to me. And then the son of God, we read later in Galatians, loved me and gave himself for me. Then in chapter number seven, verse number 10, we read the security and comfort of love. Listen to this. You can't find probably a more beautiful phrase in the word of God. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Do you have that security? Do you have that comfort? In a lover. Oh, now let's, let's, yes, she's talking about her physical lover here. But to know the Savior, I am my beloved, and his desire is toward me. That makes all the difference in the world as I go through life's pathway to have the security and the comfort of a heavenly bridegroom that loves me and gave himself for me. And then there's the communion of love. Let us, let us, let us in verse 10. 
and 11 and 12. Or 11 and 12, let us, let us, let us mention four times. There's a communion we spoke about in love. And lastly, it closes chapter 8 with beautiful words. Verse 6, a seal is, a, is the symbol of an inseparable union. Set me as a seal upon your heart. A, a seal upon thine arm for love is as strong as death. You know, death, when it comes to claim its victim, is irresistible. And so is love when it claims its victim. Love is as strong as death, and je- jealousy is as cruel as the grave. You know, one of the names of God is, my name is jealous in the, in the book of Exodus. My name is jealous. If you know the Savior this morning, he jealously desires you not to go after the, 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 the distractions of this world, but to love him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we see the wonderful relationship of love. His love is unconquerable. And his love is, his jealous love is toward her. Now, we say, well, that's all well and good. God has an ideal. But I fail. You don't know my life. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the individuals that were brought before me and that I've made my wrong choices. I've blown it. What am I supposed to do? That's probably just what that woman said in uh, Luke chapter 7. Her sins, which are many. Let me tell you something about Rahab. Rahab, if you're familiar with Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute. Night after night. Man after man. Coming in. Whispering those sweet nothings in her ear. And then they're gone. Man after man after man after man. But you know what she heard of? The kindness of God. The mercy of God. It's called in the... the uh, another translation, the loyal love in the margin, the loyal love of Jehovah. If you were to read about it in Joshua chapter two, we have heard she could say of this God of wonders. We have heard of this God of power. Give thee a token of this loyal love, she could say to them. And she was brought into this fold of the security and the loyalty of love. Once a harlot, once a prostitute that gave herself to man after man after man. I love you, honey. There was no love there. There was lust there. After the business was done, gone. Disappointment. That's what we find in this world, disappointment. We say, I'm going to go after this because, oh, he's so nice and she's so nice. And it's such a wonderful thing. You don't know what you're missing. God has set up bounds and his love is loyal. There's security to be found. There's comfort to be found in our heavenly lover, the Lord Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, we close our little meditation this morning. The Song of Solomon. To say... No doubt the purpose, historically and literally, there is beauty, there's pleasure 
to be found in the married relationship, they too shall be one flesh. But there's something higher. When Jesus opened up the scriptures in Luke 24, he opened up in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I would have loved to have been one of those, like a fly on the wall, to listen to what the Lord Jesus said when he came to Song of Solomon. You know, they say, as I prepared for this book, that in the Jewish realm, as they, they trained for the ministry and so forth, that they weren't allowed to read this book until they were 30 years old. The language is so explicit, detailed. Fascination with each other's body. The, you know what the Bible says about our body? Well, the world says, oh, present your body. The Bible says to us who know the Lord, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The world says, give me your body. I'll pump it up. I'll pamper it. I'll, I'll puff it up so you'll be more attractive. So you can get the illicit love that you're looking for. That is not the direction that God has designed in his word. And the song of Solomon points it out. Now, what do you what do you do? What do I do? I, I, I look at my past. I'm like that woman. I've, I've had man after man. I've ruined my life. No, no. Blessed be God. There's loyal love to be found in the Lord Jesus. Her sins, which are many. Look at her now. She's found at the feet of the Lord Jesus. So I would suggest to you, whatever position you find yourself, maybe you're here and you have a wonderful marriage relationship. Praise the Lord. It can improve. It can tell me how to speak to my wife here. I can speak a little kinder. I can, I can make, put more compliments and so forth. But what about you? Maybe, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and, and you find failure in the past. But I tell you what. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. Can you find love in the Savior? I I guarantee you, you can. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. You can find security and comfort in the heavenly lover, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me. And you can, you can, you can, the past is the past. You can't undo it. But you can, from this day forward, you can go on in your walk in intimacy with the heavenly lover and find in him your all in all. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the Savior. We thank you for the heavenly bridegroom. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We pray that this lovely truth will be impressed upon our hearts that he is altogether lovely and he can be found in our hearts and in our presence every day of our lives. In his own name we pray. Amen.